everybody and welcome to the Maya Minds podcast. I'm your host George and here at Maya Minds we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Just before we get started, I want to remind you that here on the My Minds podcast, we do often talk about eating disorders, body dysmorphia, exercise addiction, suicide, and other potentially triggering topics. Usually in the description below, I will write down what we talk about specifically in this episode. That being said, I do hope you enjoy this, but please do be careful. All right. Hey, everyone. Uh, I've instantly gone blank. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, uh, hi, this is a uh, different format to what I'm used to. Um, some of you who have listened for a while or have watched or listened to many of the podcasts will know I very occasionally do, like, uh, pods on my own. I have to stop saying like all the time. Now everyone who's listening to this is just going to count all the likes that I say as, as I speak. And it will be a lot of them because for some reason I'm incapable of not saying it every other word. Anyway, I occasionally do solo pods. Historically, they've been after I've had some kind of horrific mental health um, journey that stopped me from doing podcasts for a while. And then I come back and I talk a bit about it and share about it um, and I have um, yeah hoped in the past that that's been useful for people uh, this this isn't really the reason why I'm doing it today and I, I imagine the title of this podcast will allude to why I'm thinking of doing this that's if I even release this uh, I'm currently sat in my like office room, office slash closet. We also have a, a coat rack in here where we hang up our coats. So, you know, whatever it is. And I have seven bullet points in front of me of like a rough journey to take. So that this doesn't just turn into me kind of going everywhere. Um, so it's very unplanned. I was just sat um, the other day. I was actually listening to uh, a reel or a video by Shannon Beer, whose podcast I was on recently. Um, she's great. I would recommend checking her out. She does all sorts of stuff around body image, and she's a, a coach and a, a coach's coach, as far as I'm aware. Um, yeah, she's she's really cool. But she did a post about talking to coaches who say that they don't like feel like they have enough information to put out there. And um, so they don't make um, videos or inf like posts or that kind of thing, because they're worried that, you know, everyone's saying the same shit and they don't want to just regurgitate what everyone else is saying. What's the point? And then, um, then there's some like profound message. Shannon's posts always have profound messages, <laughs> very good ones. So that's not a um, bad thing. They're, yeah. They're very good. Um, and yeah, it just made me think of, uh, I think one of the reasons why I don't do many posts for Maya Minds, one of the reasons is because of that, because I don't just want to regurgitate the same shit. Um, and also the reason, the, the fact that I, I feel like I don't have that much to add, despite I'll go on other people's podcasts and I feel like I have stuff to add, but there's, yeah, some, 
some kind of barrier with my own mind's way. I just, I think it's because it's like my thing. I feel like it's just this like self-indulgent, like ego, like I'm some like wanky wannabe influencer if I start making posts and stuff, which I, I, I dealt with that anxiety when I first made my own minds and I kind of got past it, but I feel like it's crept back in. I think it's crept in since I started my PhD specifically because um, anyone who's done a PhD or anyone who's, I guess, kind of um, taken a significant leap in their education will experience the Dunning-Kruger effect, um, which people who don't know is it's that thing that you see on Facebook, <laughs> um, like Facebook memes and stuff where it's like, uh, you know, you when, when you first learn about something, your confidence spikes really high. Um, and you think you're really clever because you make these statements and you don't know anything else. So you just think, you just know it's true and it's really easy to answer questions because you just kind of base it off of this one theory and this one idea, this one ideology, and then, you know, you feel really smart. And then as you learn more and more, your confidence goes down massively because you realize all the stuff you don't know. Uh, and I think that's what's happened with me with my PhD to some degree is I don't think I've ever said anything like outlandishly wrong. I occasionally misquote like papers and stuff, but never enough for it to be like a problem. <laughs> At least I don't think ever enough for it to be um, any different to other researchers. I think other researchers do it too. You know, we, um, yeah, you have to remember to keep going back and reading um, and reminding yourself of the stats because they, they can kind of morph in your brain. Um, but yeah, it's never been bad. But even still, yeah, I think I've I've um, kind of got to this point where um, there's been this combination of me not wanting to be the um, like influencer wanker, <laughs> like um, attempting to be influencer wanker um, thing, and also don't want to, uh, I guess, feed the fire of my um, newfound inadequacy through my, like, Dunning-Kruger effect, which is it's such a strange, like, paradox, isn't it? Because the reason I feel dumb now is because I'm smarter, um, which I recognise but still doesn't help um, with it. But, yeah, long story short, uh, that's been a five-minute explanation of I'm going to attempt to make this podcast uh, and put it out there because you know I've dedicated my life to this topic um and the last uh, it's coming up on a year now I've, I've done nearly finished my first year of my PhD I have fully my entire life has been dedicated to a very specific topic which happens to align with we'll finally get onto the topic of this podcast um in what international men's day um theme is this year in 2023 which is zero male suicide. Um, so around suicide. My PhD isn't specifically around suicide. It's um, everyone probably knows if you're listening to this podcast, but I'll say it anyway, just in case. Um, I'm looking at muscularity-oriented issues in men. So things like muscle dysmorphia, which if you follow me, you'll have seen me talk about in loads of different things, but also eating disorders and um, negative relationships with exercise and any kind of like body image disorder or concern where the bait, like the majority of the issue or the kind of foundation of the issue revolves around muscularity 
um, rather than what we would normally assume is thinness. And there's several kind of things that come with that. But one of the things which I'll come on to later in the pod is um, uh, there seems to be a link to suicide. and seem They seem to be more at risk of suicide than people with other um, body image foundations. And the, the research is very new. So, um, you know, we can't say this for certain, but it, the, the data seems to be indicating that, at least from what I've read. So it's an, it's an interesting thing and something I've been looking into and I'll talk about. Before I do, um, my next bullet point, so after introducing International Men's Day, is to talk a bit about my story for people who don't know. Again, probably a lot of you do. Um, so I'm sorry about that. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about my story. But I think a, a good way to kind of introduce this is if you're listening along, you may have noticed that I'm breathing heavier than <laughs> than I normally um, would have. And this is a symptom I have been... I, I said right at the start of this podcast that when I do solo pods, it's normally because I've had some kind of mental health issue. And I said I haven't this time, but actually I kind of have. So um, yeah, I've lied. Um, but I've been experiencing really bad anxiety recently, last couple of months. Um, it all started when I had that like surge of things coming out, like the um, the Netflix documentary, or not, sorry, not documentary, the Net- Netflix show, Everything Now, which you should go watch if you haven't. Um, the more people who watch, the more chance we'll get another season and I can help out on that as well, which would be great. Um, and also, I think it's a good show, so um, please do go watch it if you can. Um, the Netflix show, Everything Now, came out, which is all about eating disorders, and I um, was able to consult on that, which was very fun. That came out, and then like a few days later, um, a book that I'd written a small part in, um, of which the name is now escaping me so I'm going to pause the recording very briefly and then come back and say what it is the book is called eating disorders don't discriminate um and my friend Dr Chucks um is one of the editors uh, and he asked me to be involved and it was um yeah a real honor to be involved and I think the other um, author is Haley Spin I believe her name is I'm going to double check that now as I'm looking Bailey Spin sorry Bailey um and yeah, the book um, is really fantastic. And they got a, a kind of load of really cool people who have experience with eating disorders and then me as well <laughs> um, to write about their experiences. And then they put it all into a book and it was a very kind of diverse range of people with very diverse range of experiences um, so that people can see that eating disorders aren't just uh, your kind of stereotype and you know, lots of people can experience it and lots of people can experience it in different ways and um, that's really important um, and very cool that I got to write a bit for it and then following from that um, the Channel 4 documentary came out that I did with Miles um, Miles Nazir I believe is how you pronounce his last name who's in Maiden Chelsea um, where I spoke about my lived experience and it was all on Channel 4 and was really cool and then a few days after that, um, this Lad Bible video came out and I was speaking on that about, again, my experience with muscle dysmorphia 
um, and that kind of stuff. And um, again, very cool. And then even like a couple of weeks after that, then the um, physiotherapy guidelines for physiotherapists and eating disorders came out, which I was able to contribute to very smallly, <laughs> like a very small amount. Um, but they were very kind to mention my my name in it. I basically just spoke about like men's stuff and um, muscle stuff and, and that kind of stuff and, and brought that in. I'm really proud that I got to because, you know, lots of people aren't aware of this kind of things. And now that's, you know, this, uh, this huge guidance document for physiotherapists who, you know, are relatively new to the eating disorder world. You know, they're really important, but a lot of services don't have physiotherapists, but they're so, so helpful and so essential to eating disorder care. Um, and now when new ones come in and they don't really know what they're doing or they're early to learning about eating disorders, they can pick up that guidance and they'll be aware of muscularity. Anyway, I digress. All this really cool stuff came out and I'm and I'm not trying to like play the small world's smallest violin and like claim that that was a bad thing. Um, but them all coming out at the same time. I, I, I got obviously loads of really wonderful comments and people um, saying great stuff. I also got a lot of negative comments on the, on the, uh, the channel four thing was ripped apart in the comment section. And so was the lad Bible thing. Um, but, um, yeah, all this stuff, but for, for some reason, my, that part of my brain that, dislikes me as a person still <laughs> that I'm um, kind of uh, I've built a lot of things around to, to work on um, decided to angle that as um, an expectation from the world that this was going to continue that I was going to continue to keep doing things and producing things and all this stuff and suddenly every you know month that goes by where I don't produce something impressive or cool um, people are going to be like tutting silently at the failure that I've become, <laughs> which, you know, as I'm saying it, I understand how ridiculous and like egotistical and whatever that is. It's a silly notion, but it's resulted in some really bad anxiety for me, um, which has resulted in me experiencing this really tight chest where I'm struggling to breathe. And um, for a while, every time I Googled it, every symptom I had told me that I was having a heart attack and I was going to die. So I went to the doctors and I had like ECG and all that stuff. And the doctors are giving me the all clear um, physically uh, and they think it's, um, yeah, just anxiety and stress. So I'm going to say up front, oh my God, it's 14 minutes and I haven't even started. This is such a me thing. Um, yeah, I'm say up front when I keep sighing, <laughs> I'm not sighing at the things I'm saying, although I probably am sometimes. Um, I'm actually just really struggling to breathe at the moment. And um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, anxiety related. I don't feel anxious necessarily right now. I'm literally sat on my own speaking to a microphone and looking at my seven bullet points. Um, and, you know, I could delete this and I, there's probably a um, 40 to 50% chance I will delete this because I'll, I'll end up saying, you know, going off on some stupid tangent later on, I'll be like, oh, this is shite, and then I'll delete it. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, or maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll do that anyway, probably, and then just say, screw it. Maybe someone will enjoy it and then put it out anyway. Anyway. Yes, so I'll actually talk about what I'm here to talk about. Um, International Men's Day, November 19th, 
2023, the theme is zero male suicide. And um, yeah, I guess we're all, I think, very aware of, it's something that people talk about a lot now, and um, importantly so, and we should continue to talk about, um, is that statistically there is a big kind of, um, uh, there's a big prevalence of suicides um, in men more so than other genders um, and specifically so when looking at a certain age group of men I believe it's uh, like 45 uh, to 40 years old where um, suicide is actually the biggest killer of men and um, it's something like I think it's 23 per 100,000 um, men die by suicide and it's yeah it's really scary statistics and um yeah it seems to be growing as well from what i've read recently which is another horrendous statistic um, and i think i saw i think these were american statistics but um there was something like if if we if we and you know i don't want to i don't want to sound like i'm trying to um, belittle women's experiences of suicidality here at all but the statistic basically read that if um, men's suicide rate was the same as women's since i think it's i think it's since like the early 2000s i may be butchering this so i'll, do, I'll double check it but um then there'd be something like five hundred thousand men wouldn't be um dead right now um which is a crazy statistic to to think about um yeah the number of men dying by suicide is terrifying and yeah um just generally very scary um yeah i'm looking here these are all american statistics but i imagine they're similar in the uk to some degree but um men are four times more likely to die by suicide than women um and there's been an increase in the suicide rate among young men, so 15 to 24, between 2020 and 21 by 8%, which, is, again, is really scary. So it seems to be growing. It's a real problem, and we need to do stuff about it. Um, and, yeah, I mean... Uh, I'm not suggesting I'm going to fix it in this podcast, but, you know, I'm maybe telling my story, talking about the kind of stuff I've been looking into. Uh, you know, I'm hoping that I can at least instigate some conversations. Uh, maybe people can, maybe, you know, if you have someone you're worried about or if you're worried about it yourself, you can talk about this podcast with a friend or um, something similar. Um yeah and maybe you can just be talking about how much of a knob i am or <laughs> how stupid i am um or how unprepared i am with not getting up the, st the statistics that i definitely should have got up before i started recording but here we are um and that's my my brain is very good at remembering like theories and ideas but numbers is just like they go in one ear and out the, the other so like statistic if basically if you've ever heard me quote a statistic go double check it because it's probably wrong um, it's, it's normally right by like it's normally like close enough but i'm normally a little bit wrong it's just they just don't stick with me unless i i have them written down anyway let's actually start so yeah i wanted to talk about uh, my story and I, I guess i'll um very briefly very briefly before i start i will say um you know I, this is obviously a really like 
difficult topic and um yeah and it's, it's something you should be careful about if you're listening to especially if you're you know struggling yourself and at the same time you know i, I do think listening to other people going through it if you're going through it is is useful and um or you know other people who've gone through it i think i think it's useful to listen to it but still you know i'm i'm going to be talking about it so and um, just be aware and also one of the ways that i deal with this and have dealt with it historically is i somewhat make light of my own experience in my own head and especially when i'm sat on my own in my own room i'm even now like i'm i'm going to like kind of awkwardly laugh and chuckle and things at stuff um that you probably shouldn't awkwardly laugh and chuckle at but it is just kind of one of the ways that i deal with it and yeah it's helped me and it has helped me process it in a really healthy way in, in a lot of ways maybe unhealthy in other ways but yeah it's just um i guess i want to just say that off the bat that you know you may i may laugh and stuff i may cry at some point i don't know you know, normally when i'm on my own i don't um normally i revert to laughing but we'll see we'll see how it goes but yeah i'll, I'll talk a bit about my story so um at least just with the suicidality stuff and obviously i'm not going to go into crazy detail but um yeah i'll talk a little bit about it so i think people are well aware that i um struggled with disordered eating and um, issues with exercise and body image and stuff for a long time and mine were were all revolved around muscularity and this idea of i didn't feel like i was muscular enough and really that 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 want to be muscular was more aligned with wanting to be more masculine and wanting to be something that I felt like I was supposed to be as a as a boy or as a man. Um, and it just, yeah, they just kind of manifested on muscle. And um, not even, it was not, wasn't even a, like it was about the way that I looked. Um, but I think the way that I looked was more around, was more for like attraction. Like I wanted to look attractive because that was part of masculinity to me, was being, being able to attract other people. Um but there were, yeah there was also the idea that the the behaviors that you do into in order to get to be muscular um was i saw them as very um as very masculine um the the idea of being able to endure pain and being able to to deal with these kind of things and to push through adversity and work really hard yeah, these were all things that I I felt like I needed to prove and felt like I, I wasn't able to do. Um, I've since realized uh, that I actually have a really high pain threshold. And um, recently I was, uh, I don't know if diagnosed is the right word, but I, I went to a physio a few times and they told they assessed me and told me, um, which I think is the definition of diagnosis to some degree, that um, I... I'm hypermobile, so I have, um, you know, the the fibers in my joints are more elastic than they should be, or is is normal, quote unquote normal, and that means that my body kind of can rest in um, like extreme positions or like very like very kind of fast positions. Like when I stand up straight, I for the longest time I didn't realize until the physio told me. I hyperextended my legs, so my legs were always like kind of bent the other way a little bit. I didn't, I didn't realize, but they always were. Um, and similar stuff with my back and my hips and those kind of things. 
and I've had this all my life and I remember being a kid and just like uh, my my mum and dad used to both work at a zoo. I used to live on the zoo, which is another whole other story. We used to have like a cottage that I'd stay at. Um, but I used to help out at the zoo and a lot of, you know, um, I don't want to crush any dreams here, but a lot of, a lot of working on a zoo is just shoveling shit, but from like exotic, exotic shit. Um, so, so a lot, you know, I used to work on the, the zoo and I would, you know, help by shoveling some of the poop. And, um, I used to, I used to do it for, you know, I do it for 10, 20 minutes and I'd just be in, I'd be, I just remember being in so much pain and, you know, at first I would, you know, I'd come down after 20 minutes and, you know, my, my dad or, um, other people who worked at the zoo would kind of make jokes. So, you know, I was a little kid, so, you know, they kind of make jokes about it. Um, but then like, you know, I'd noticed that like, um, then I'd noticed at school and stuff that like, it just seemed like everyone was able to do these like physical things for longer than I could. And, you know, it's 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 impossible to fully understand or comprehend how other people are feeling, but the way, at least to me as a kid, the way that I kind of made sense of that in my in my brain was everyone feels this pain that I feel, um, but everyone else just deals with it. Everyone else can just go through it, and um, and like I'm just weak. Like, I just can't deal with it. I just have this. I'm just so frail and fragile and unable to deal with pain i'm just pathetic and um yeah i just i just accepted that like you know there was just something wrong with me and i used to just try and push through this pain and i did i have done for literally and still to this day you know i'll um i've only really just started trying to um you know one of the ways that i can get over is by stretching and moving when i'm out and about but even just stuff like like going shopping with my partner you know if we're, if we're out shopping for like two two plus hours i start getting it like i start hurting a lot um, and i've just started just stretching in the middle of the shop and um you know it looks a bit weird but it helps me and i, I think getting over that um yeah that worry that people are going to think i'm a weirdo um is helping but yeah you know it was, it was up until recently that i would just i would just push through it i just carried on my life uh, as if i wasn't in this immense pain and just told everyone that i was fine and you know i'd just kind of be twitching around a lot um but i just wouldn't uh just wouldn't say anything and yeah and then i realized recently that that it was probably due to this medical condition that I have, um, whether you call it that, I don't know. I, again, I, I feel like I, um, I've got this like thing um, in my brain that tells me that I'm being a, like a wanker if I ever say that anything. Maybe this is just like an English thing that if I if I ever say that I'm, um, yeah, if I ever like escalate something to being uh, a problem more than it necessarily was, then I yeah. You know, does that make sense? I think it makes sense. They are, they are like, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating it. I feel like I'm exaggerating it, even though it's true. Um, and that's something I struggle with when I talk about muscle dysmorphia and stuff, because I was never diagnosed with it. Um, same with eating disorders. I don't actually know if I was diagnosed with an eating disorder. I, I've had conversations with a doctor who said that it was on my notes from, from what I remember. Um, but I don't remember anyone sitting me down and saying that I had one. 
but now that I've studied them, I, I know for a fact that I did. I, you know, um, and I met all the criteria of muscle dysmorphia. Um, and there are problems with the criteria of muscle dysmorphia, which means I, I maybe wouldn't have been diagnosed with it, even though I met all the criteria. Uh, but that's a, a whole other kettle of fish um, that people can listen to me talk about on other podcasts about muscle dysmorphia if they want to hear it. Um, yes. Anyway. So yeah, I just kind of built up in my head that I wasn't all these things that I needed to be. I wasn't tough, I wasn't strong, I wasn't big, or whatever it was. Um, I wasn't the right kind of big anyway. I was always kind of tall and, um, I was, yeah, like a, a larger person. But yeah, um, so I yeah started uh, trying to build muscle, started listening to all these like motivational speakers who told me that, you know, I... I um, I mean to like push past everyone else no one else is going to understand um, but if I want to be great if I want to be the best and whatever it was then uh, I had to kind of grind and never give up and keep going and people are going to tell me to stop but I need to they don't get me and they, you need to ignore them and keep going and whatever and one day they'll see when I'm I don't know when I'm mega muscular <laughs> when I'm um yeah people will realize I don't I don't really know what I was thinking but um yeah started doing that and naturally I you know these diet regimes and exercise regimes that I was aligning myself with um you know were so extreme and kind of ever growing you know they the threshold for what was uh the get the goal or what was a um, kind of respectable amount or a respectable level of exercise or diet or whatever it was um was shifting constantly and constantly getting more and more extreme and eventually yeah it just i couldn't i couldn't match it and there was several times where i couldn't match it and i couldn't stick to it and i couldn't you know whatever it was and i would end up binge eating um not going to the gym out of shame and just, yeah, just feeling terrible about myself. And just, I just felt like I was such a failure. Like I, I can't tell you enough that, you know, I just didn't want people to see me. Like I didn't want people, like it would be, you know, I'd been, I'd have been you know, restrictively eating like to the nth degree and um, you're working out to these insane lengths for months on end, like, you know, without, without stopping or whatever. And then I'd, I'd go off it for a day or not even that like you know, I go off it for a couple hours and I just like I couldn't stomach someone like seeing me like just because I was so I was so certain that they would they would immediately be aware of what a pathetic loser I was uh, and obviously I, I know I wasn't but I was just so certain that that's just yeah that was all anyone was going to see um and yeah and eventually i you know i and i'd you know i'd have these moments and then you know somehow i'd um kind of spur myself to go back to the gym and get back onto my diet and around and around i'd go and eventually got to the point where um you know in the i'll talk more about this later on but in the theory of um interpersonal theory of suicide which is um, like the most commonly cited theory of 
suicide as far as I'm aware anyway. And there's a systematic review that I don't think has been published yet, but I spoke to one of the authors and they told me it was the most commonly cited one that they found. So I'm going to relatively confidently say it's the most commonly cited theory. Um, but one of the main elements of that theory is that um, the idea of acquired capability of suicide, which sounds so gross when you say it like without con without context of the theory, but it is literally what it says, which is that over time you acquire or like kind of gain or learn this ability to attempt suicide and um to actually like kind of go through it because you know we're not designed to want to die and we're designed to try and not die so you know the idea of doing it is um, quite counter to any kind of creature so um, yeah, you have to kind of, people kind of build it up is the idea. And, and that's something that links it to eating disorders. And I think muscle dysmorphia, again, I'll talk about it later on. But, um, you know, one of the things is like, you know, if you ex experience um, the kind of shame and the pain enough and you experience um, kind of attempting or like, you know, doing like little kind of practice things, you know, I don't, again, I don't want to go into details for what I, what I did, but you know, there were several times where I kind of slowly um, started edging closer to like a full-blown attempt where I would kind of set myself up for it and I'd think about it and I'd look at it and then I'd go like no and then you know, the next time I'd get a little bit closer and then go no and then a little bit closer and then go no and um, I'd, I, you know, I can never, I can never know for sure if I actually was at that point yet uh and i'm just starting to get upset which is so lame because i'm sat on my own talking to my mic um but yeah i uh yeah i, I was uh, i was at a point where i knew how i was going to do it and um i think i was at the point where i was going to try and do it and um, yeah, people who have heard this story before will know that my um, friend Cara from university, uh, who I haven't spoken to in ages and I haven't seen in ages, and we talk occasionally on Instagram. Cara, if you're listening, we need to arrange to see each other soon. <laughs> um, yeah, she uh, noticed that. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what she noticed. I, I know I hadn't seen her for a few weeks, but so I assume she just you know realized that I wasn't there. Um, and I was in that that headspace of just being so like ashamed and stuff. And I remember, uh, I think she texted me to say she was coming over. <laughs> if I remember, she's um, no offense, Cara, but she she can be quite stubborn um, in the best in the best possible way, Cara. Um, and I remember just her just being like, "Nah, I'm coming to your house now. Uh, I don't I don't care what you say. I'm just I'm just coming to your house." Um, and yeah, she came, and I uh, went to the door and. I think both my housemates were out at the time. Um, so we sat in the lounge and I remember like we sat like across from each other, like facing each other. And she was just like looking at me and I just like could barely look at her, her because I was just so ashamed of myself. And I felt like she was, I felt, I just, I was so certain that she could just see how pathetic I was and stuff. And she just really, she was the kind, compassionate and caring person that she's always been. And I just started crying and getting upset. And 
um, kind of broke down in front of her and um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I, I don't think at the time I told her that like the, the plan I had for that day, but I, yeah, just told her how horrible I was feeling and um, yeah, and she said, you know, you really need to talk to someone about it, speak to someone about it. So I mentioned it to my parents first. I, I'm, um, you know, uh, lucky that my parents are um, rather aware of mental health issues and um, we've, uh, yeah, kind of had struggles with it in our family in the past. And so they're, they're open to it and um, they helped me find a counsellor in the city that I was in when I was at uni. And I started working at a gym nearby which is uh, I always say is really ironic um but I started working at a gym running like fitness classes and uh doing some like personal training stuff to make some money so that I could afford to go to counseling for my issues with the gym um and yeah I yeah started seeing my counselor and uh yeah the rest is the rest is history and yeah I think everyone's heard the story of uh, how my mind was made and I think I think there's a podcast ages ago that I did probably one of my solo podcasts where I spoke about how I started my minds and why I started it and that kind of stuff and um, if not literally listen to any podcast I've ever been on I think if you just type my name into Spotify you'll see a few podcasts um there's not many George Mycox <laughs> about so I can I can get I can get up on the search bar um, pretty pretty easily um yeah I think if you type my name and you'll see him and, and mo- most people when they interview me on podcast ask me about my minds um and yeah I, I talk about that so I won't go about that here but yeah so yeah I'm I'm very fortunate and um yeah very uh um what's the word look for i always forget this word it's not it's not gracious maybe it is gracious it's the word for gratitude yeah i'm gonna go with gracious it's not gracious um but the the word of i have i have gratitude for um yeah cara uh, coming that day and and yeah my friends and my family and um my old counselor ed his name was um ed if you're out there thanks <laughs> um and yeah we yeah did a lot of work and yeah got to a better place don't get me wrong it was ups and downs as it always is and it took i still see a counselor to this day i now see keith hi keith i, I, I doubt keith listens but um i now see keith and um still doing still doing it uh but yeah i saw i saw ed for uh yeah, the rest of my time at uni at least anyway which was another two years and I definitely wasn't sorted by the time uni finished so um yeah but yeah he, we did a lot of stuff um and yeah I'm I'm really happy for that but anyway yeah so I'm really gra- grateful of that and I can't you know I, I'll talk more about um stuff uh, maybe, maybe some like ideas or um things you know I, I guess I wanted I want to start off by saying I'm not a clinician um, I never have been I doubt I ever will be I'm a researcher and someone who has lived experience of it um I 
personally hate the word expert by experience. At least I hate that. I hate when I'm called it because uh, I don't, I, you know, I am an expert of my experience, but I, I don't like the assumption that I am an expert of all people who have had an experience like mine purely because I've been through it. Like I, I don't know what it's like to have muscle dysmorphia for everyone else purely because I've had it. I don't know what it's like to experience suicidality just because I've experienced it. Like, for, you know what I mean? Uh, I know what it's like for me to experience it, but it's different. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I'm not a clinician, but I just want to say that I think it's very well known <laughs> now that, um, and talked about a lot, that we need to, that people should talk about it. And and it's almost, it's, I, th I think it's funny because I see it now. Um, I see people saying like, oh, you know, we all, we all, uh, it's such a, a cliche now to say that men need to talk about their feelings. Like it, um, uh, we need to like go the next step now. We need to go the next step. But it's always, it's really funny because like, like 99% of those people who say that then don't give a next step <laughs> or like most of the time they're not giving next steps. Uh, it's almost because it's like become the new cliche to call that cliche. Um, but I personally think that, you know, I think it's something I used to say quite a lot, but you know, cliches are, are cliches for a reason. There's a reason these these sayings and these statements continue to be said across time. It's because they're they're really meaningful and they're they're true. You know, talking about your feelings is really hard for a lot of people, and it seems to be specifically hard for men for several reasons. I don't think it's just the fact that um, we all want to be manly and don't want to you know be talking about our emotions and don't want to be struggling with anything or at least let anyone know that we're struggling with anything. I think it's also the fact that we don't want, we don't necessarily know the words to explain it. Um, and we don't want to adopt the words that, that we see other people using. And, you know, I think, again, I'm kind of jumping the gun here, but you know, the, a lot of the research looking at men's help seeking behaviors for mental health say that, um, men don't like, like they call it clinical language, but I, I don't think it is clinical language. I think it's just, it's the words, it's the like therapy language, <laughs> I think anyway, um, that is used and I think um, feels feminine. And I think it feels feminine because um, mental health has been designed around women's experiences mostly. Um, you know, it's a very small thing, you know, I don't know if anyone's read the book Invisible Women. I've literally got it sat next to me right now. Um, but it's a, a really great book by um, a woman, Caroline. Oh, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I'm going to say Criado Perez. Um, I hate being, I'm always that fucking guy that can't pronounce people's names. Like I, I hate it. I, I hate that I'm that person, but I get so, I get so anxious about trying because I'm just, I know I'm going to butcher it. And then I just do this cheesy, like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher your name. And then I just hate myself for saying that, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Um, I don't actually hate myself for saying that, but it's just, I know it's a very annoying thing that I do and I need to stop doing it. But anyway, great book. And it talks all about all the kind of um, issues around the way the world's designed for men and is designed for men's bodies and men's way of working and men's way of being. And that means women are more at risk in lots of different scenarios um what i think one of the examples i remember is, is around 
um, like seat belts and I think airbags as well in cars. And it's like women are considerably more likely to die from car crashes because seat belts and airbags aren't designed for them, which is terrifying. Um, but yeah, but so, but it does seem that um, certain aspects of mental health, um, especially ones with like appearance concerns and stuff, are designed around women because we for the longest time we thought it was only women could get it because of the patriarchal structures that we exist in that say that women are just objects and um their appearance is their most important thing so obviously if there's a concern with appearance it must be women who are struggling with it um and that has led to uh, healthcare services and the language and the things that we use uh, or at least the healthcare services in general have been designed around women and i think as kind of a attachment to that the idea of mental health in general and at least in my field that mental health around appearance concerns in general the assumption is that that is women's mental health um and so i think that's why we add the caveat of like men's mental health but we don't often add the caveat of women's mental health um I don't think that's right necessarily. And it's been something I've been thinking about recently. I listened to a podcast, um, which is called Debunking the Manosphere, uh, which is a really interesting podcast. I would recommend people listen to it if they want to. They're, they're a really cool pair and they're very funny and um, talk about some really good topics. And they were talking about this because people, when people say that like no one talks about uh, men's mental health, but they were talking about how you know we have the month and we have the day and... Um, I think later on they mention, and I, I really don't want to be like straw manning their argument here, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm going to because I can't remember um, their, their argument word for word and I wasn't planning on talking about it, but here we are. Um, but they talk about how, you know, we, we we talk about men's mental health, but we don't talk about, like we don't have like a, you know, women's mental health stuff and we don't do that. And, and one of the um, people who run the podcast um uh, I remember, I don't remember her name. I know she's called the Tinder translator. Um, she's really cool. I, I really like her. Um, she saw, she says how like she doesn't want to do posts about women's mental health because she knows the backlash she'll get. And I, yeah, I, I 100% agree she'll get backlash and that's really bad. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I wonder if, I was thinking, I wonder if an answer to this to some degree is to, is that we, we, we don't we try and talk more about women's mental health specifically and non-binary people's mental health specifically and the kind of we we do split up the genders forms of mental health more um because then potentially we can unpick the idea that general mental health is a woman's thing um and that can help hopefully help pick apart some of the issues that we see with at least with um some people it seems to be predominantly um, be men that we see in comment sections where I know Calm did a post about women's suicide and then there was loads of people commenting being like, oh, but what about men's suicide? Men commit suicide more than, than women, blah, blah, blah. Um, I wonder if if we do that split off more, um, then we'll be able to take away the idea that mental health generically is a woman's thing and we, but we need to talk about men specifically for these different areas. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> it's a... It's a very initial thought, and I don't. I, I, um, I think there's a high potential that I disagree with that. Uh, if I think about it more, or when when I do eventually think about that more, 
or try and write about it a bit maybe uh but anyway i forgot where i was at um yeah i don't even think i even ended up going on to the next my next bullet point but i think uh, my next bullet point was going to be about masculinity and it's linked to suicide which i think i'm already on um to some degree uh, yeah, we, and it's it's something we we've seen a lot, and I think it's one of the reasons we we commonly quote um, around suicide and around the reasons why men seem to die by suicide more than than women or other genders. Um, I think there are several factors to masculinity that that lead to this, and um, one of them, which I think people classically talk about is the stoic idea um, although it isn't stoicism because stoicism isn't about negating your emotions stoicism is about separating your body and your emotions um, and actually from the bits that i've read it seems you, that you are quite aware of your emotions and you're like kind of like very aware of your emotions but to a point where you can acknowledge them just as emotions and separate them from yourself and, and see them for something different it kind of well, I know that um, REBT is based off of Stoic ideas, and I'm pretty sure REBT is very closely linked to CBT. So just for people who don't know, REBT is Rational Emotive Behavioural Therapy, um, and it's a very like early on form of um, like cognitive behavioural therapy type therapy. <laughs> um, and I believe it's really linked to CBT, which is Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, which is basically the the go-to therapy for every mental health service it 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 seems to just do great things for a lot of mental health conditions um but yeah so you know stoicism actually i think is quite good um if you do actual stoicism um but the what we tend to be talking about when we talk about the stoic the masculine stoic idea is the idea of like ignoring your emotions um <clears throat> and i think that's more that's better described um as what they call in the literature um the idea of self-maintenance which is that you should be able to as a man you should be able to um deal with how you feel and not let it affect you and um, so you know when you when you um feel negative emotions and stuff you just ignore them and, and quiet them down and don't express them and um push past them and deal with them yourself and don't burden anyone else with them that's the the general idea and obviously that that leads to issues with suicidality because you're not getting help when you need it and i think i kind of stumbled upon it then but you know part again going back to that interpersonal theory of suicidality the one that I spoke about before that was talking about the capability acquired capability the kind of two other factors to it one of them is feeling of being a burden increased burdensomeness um which is yeah um people who feel like they're a burden are more likely to want to commit suicide or feel feels like suicidal um because yeah they feel like a burden to people um, and I and I think the general acknowledgement of mass in masculinity is that <coughs> you can't be a burden to anyone else, and that's a like a terrible thing to be. Um, and I think it puts a lot of pressure on you to not be a burden, and the and it almost and acknowledges the fact, or it kind of concretes the idea that sharing your emotions 
equals putting a burden on other people, which it doesn't always, um, and doesn't usually. I would probably, I would argue. Um, yeah, so I think that's another part of it. And just for the record, the the other form, the other kind of um, aspect of the interpe- interpersonal theory of suicide is they call it thwarted belongingness. But I think thwarted is such a... I keep, I keep saying wanky in this podcast. Wanky is like my new favourite swear word. I keep saying that all the time. Um, it's such like a wanky researcher thing. Like thwarted is such an overly like like not used term that you people just say to sound smart. <laughs> like I'm sorry for people who use that word, but like I feel like the only reason we use that is because it makes you sound smarter <laughs> it basically just it just means that you you know like lacking belongingness or like your belongingness is um reduced you know not feeling like you belong is an easier way of saying that um but the um, wanky researcher way of saying it I, you know to be fair to the researchers I think they're they're looking for a word that's very precise and that's thwarted is very precise in that sense i don't know the dictionary definition but whatever yeah this idea that um feeling like you don't belong anywhere is is another aspect of suicidality and we'll come i'll come back onto that in a bit um probably soon actually um but yeah so masculinity uh, causes us to not speak about our emotions um, but I and I also think because of that, masculinity causes us to uh, have an inability to articulate our emotions. So there's a there's a term called alexithymia that was also termed um, like a kind of a variant of it was termed normative male alexithymia, if I remember in correctly. Um, which it was called that because it mostly seen in men, but normative alexithymia is basically the is learned alexithymia which an alexithymia is basically an inability to um kind of name and interpret one's emotions so you feel something but you're not quite sure what it is um and a lot of people experience it a lot of men seem to experience it and one way that people tend to um talk about it is they experience them as physical symptoms and they think it's physical so they they feel the tight chest they feel these kind of things and they they describe it as just feeling tired or feeling um their heart race or um yeah feeling shaky and these kind of things but actually it's anxiety it's depression it's um whatever it is their emotions um and it seems that men learn this um more so than women and and that seems to be due to masculinity it seems to be the this idea that as a man, you're not supposed to talk about or express emotions, so therefore we don't have the the words to articulate them. Um, and the only way to articulate them, again, I think comes back to this idea of um, mental health, the general mental health being women's mental health, in, in, in men's eyes at least, or in a lot of men's eyes. Um, the only way to talk about mental health is to adopt the words that women are using. Um, and I do also want to say, you know, I know I'm in danger when I talk about this kind of stuff of sounding like I'm like, oh, men, men are men and women are women. And, um, you know, men, men are like this and women are like this, which I don't believe at all. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I want to acknowledge that, you know, in a perfect world, I would certainly get rid of the 
the the idea that masculinity is only men and femininity is only women is not at all we all have aspects of both um, and the idea that um, just because your genitals are a certain way you have to adhere to certain um, rules is is crazy to me um, but yeah um, but it, at the same time it is it is the case that a lot of men and uh, potentially a lot of women although I, I haven't read um, as much into femininity for obvious reasons because it doesn't seem to come up as much in muscle stuff um but in with the case of masculinity it seems the case that a lot of people have serious mental health like concerns and have and have internalized the concept that they need to be masculine enough that it it really needs to be taken seriously um, and needs to be addressed in a way that isn't just like, oh, get over it, like stop being such a fucking ain't like you know fossil who believes that men should do this thing. Yeah, we we need we need to acknowledge that some people are really struggling with that, and and because of that, we need to like do things about it. Um, which is what I'm trying to do in my research and, and trying to work on. But anyway, um, yeah. So there are other ways that masculinity links to suicide, but there's some like a couple examples. Um, moving on to um, the muscularity stuff. So muscle dysmorphia, um, as I mentioned before, seems to be really closely linked to suicide, and and it seems even more so than it does with than it does in uh, other forms of body dysmorphic disorder and other forms of eating disorders. And for people who don't know, um, muscle dysmorphia is the only clinically recognised. Um, disorder that's oriented around muscularity it's currently um, classed as a variant of body dysmorphic disorder so body dysmorphic disorder is a disorder which revolves around um, a kind of perceived flaw with your body in, in whatever way it is um, that can be like your your nose your skin um, like levels of body fat it can be all sorts of stuff um and that causes clinical distress um, and and normally that flaw is is it appears um kind of not non-existent to other people or at least very slight like it is nowhere near as bad as that person perceives it as and muscle dysmorphia is a variant to that so it's kind of like a filter so if you you have all the um criteria of body dysmorphic disorder and then oh you also um your body dysmorphia is um, around the idea of not being muscular enough, then you have muscle dysmorphia. That's the that's the, the very basic idea. Um, and yeah, there's lots of people who contend with it potentially being a form of eating disorder, blah, 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 blah. And I could go on forever about that, but I'm not going to. Um, <clears throat> but there seems to be linked to suicide um, in several kind of ways um as soon as we were talking about the interpersonal theory of suicide i think it's interesting one to talk about that in muscle dysmorphia um in contrast to so there was a study that looked at people with body dysmorphic disorder and people with muscle dysmorphia or at least people with symptoms of them i don't know if they were actually diagnosed but and they found that in people with regular body dysmorphic disorder um both the idea of belongingness and the idea of burdensomeness were linked to body dysmorphic disorder. So the same way that the theory um, suggests. 
but people with muscle dysmorphia, um, it was only burdensomeness that linked to suicidality and not belongingness. So a lack of belonging didn't necessarily, didn't seem to link to suicidality in people with muscle dysmorphia. Um, and despite this, and um, we all, we still see that muscle dysmorphia seems to be an incredibly high risk group for suicide. There are several studies. There's um, a very early study that's not not the greatest of quality, but still is is alarming. Um, that found that people with muscle dysmorphia <clears throat> were twice as likely to have attempted suicide compared to people with body dysmorphic disorder. Um, despite people with body dysmorphic disorder already being at like ridiculously high risk compared to the general population of suicidality i think it's something like 45 times more likely or something um so you know it's very very high risk already and then these people were even more high risk um and i also like kind of very quickly i'll touch on the fact that um there's there's some research that i saw from the samaritans that found um that the idea of a um, quote-unquote completed suicide is often seen as more masculine um and and again i think that might lead into the the stats that we see around women i think if i'm correct women tend to attempt suicide more um often than men do um and women tend to self-harm more often than men do but men tend to die by it more often than women do um i wonder if there's something around that masculinity there with that anyway but yeah anyway um so yeah so muscle dysmorphia seems is is more common in that sense um and then also there was a study which is a longitudinal study and again for people who aren't aware of what that means longitudinal studies are when they do it across time so they the study will take like a year and they'll record um at several time points so at like on the first day in three months time in six months time nine months blah 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 and on this study they did three time points i forget the spacing between the the three but again numbers don't don't stick with me <laughs> um but what they found which was really interesting was the people who had higher symptoms of eating disorders at the first point then at the second point had higher symptoms of suicide so eating disorders seemed to lead to suicide and then the people who had higher suicide symptoms at that midpoint then later on had higher muscle dysmorphia symptoms so it seemed that suicide linked to or led to muscle dysmorphia symptoms um which makes me think at least um that there's potential that it may be more of a reciprocal relationship than we think or at least that you know they reinforce each other so it might be that people who are suicidal take on muscle dysmorphia stuff um and muscle dysmorphia is really closely linked with masculinity i'll say briefly um and so maybe it's that those people who are suicidal think that the the ideas of pushing through pain and being able to like deal with stress and deal with pain and self-maintain those masculine ideals we we're talking about before maybe they're a good option if you're feeling at the point where you know you're feeling like such a burden and you're feeling like you don't belong maybe it's an option um and so it might be that people who are struggling with muscle dysmorphia are the kind it muscle dysmorphia could even be a signal to clinicians that someone is could really be struggling with suicidality and that's why they're doing this you know so i think it's a really important group for us to look at if we're looking at reducing suicide rates in men um yeah so it, it seems to be 
really closely linked and um i've lost my train of thought so i'm going to pause and then come back <laughs> uh, give me one second i have remembered i don't believe i talked about this so i'm going to go on to it um so yeah as i was mentioning before it seems that uh belongingness doesn't affect muscle dysmorphia or isn't linked to muscle dysmorphia but burdensomeness is and um I was there's kind of several points that could come from that and we don't know I just want to say to start off that like this is purely speculation I'm just thinking what would be would be really cool to to research and maybe figure out is it might be that people who are oriented towards muscularity um that there's a concept in like the bodybuilding community and and um muscle building communities of like not belonging and it's what I was talking about before with my lived experience where I'd listen to these motivational speakers who would tell me that like, no, you know, no one's going to get you and no one's going to recognize why you're working so hard, but you have to ignore them. You have to keep pushing. You know, you're, you're expecting to not belong and there's a kind of identity in not belonging. So I wonder if that plays into it to some degree. Um, but then, then that means that, you know, maybe burdensomeness is kind of putting like a turbo drive on it, so to speak, you know, but for some reason, the idea of being a burden is is ramped up to like the nth degree. Uh, and I wonder how much that ties into the masculine idea ideas and the, the concept of um, that I was talking about before, again, the idea that being a burden is the worst thing you can be like you have to hide everything from everyone as a man because your whole role as a masculine man i'm doing air quotes here throughout the whole thing um <clears throat> is to reduce burden to take burden off of people and there's nothing you know as much as i'm doing the air quotes that's, that's a very respectable thing to do and a lot of people do that um and do that well and do that in a positive way uh but yeah, I wonder how much that may escalate the impact of feeling like a burden can have on these people who adhere to the idea of wanting to be masculine and wanting to, um, <clears throat> yeah, these kind of things. So, yeah, there's a, there's definitely a link there to some degree. And, and this kind of leads me on to this concept I've been talking about recently, which I call I'm calling the fitness masculine intersect, and I'm 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 hoping to write a bit about it, um, at least for my thesis, and I'd love to try and publish some kind of paper or something so that I can um, argue for it in the academic world to some degree. But we'll see. I mean, if there's any academics out there that want to write this with me, <laughs> um, and yeah, want to help with that, please do. Um, yeah, or please do reach out. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so the fitness masculine intersect is basically this idea that I looked at the the values of the fitness community and I looked at the values of the masculine community. And this is like, at least it's the, the values in the sense that, because, you know, I started reading into the psychology of values and it's a very confusing topic and also isn't directly linked. No, it, values do, values in the sense, in the psychological sense don't seem to be exactly the same as values of, of what people in like common nomenclature talk about so i'm using this in like the common way that we talk about values um and it's, it's equally as as correct but just for the record i'm not using the like psychology um definition of this i would say um 
So I'm more talking about, if, I, if I'm going to use a better word, I'll say the messages that these groups try to enforce and try and push onto people. Um, and they almost perfectly align. They are both about working really hard, both about enduring pain, both about being big and taking up space and both about being attractive and attracting other people. Um, and I could, again, I could talk about the attraction side of muscle dysmorphia forever as well, because I think that's such a key part. I think there's something really to unpick there. Um, and I, I, yeah, I'm like tempted to go down the track, but I'm not, I'm going to refrain because I'm already talking forever. And I, I'm, I'm currently on, I'm not too far. I'm on bullet point five of seven. So we're getting there people. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to talk about that. I've now lost my train of thought again. Um, yes, fitness, masculinity, sex, so attractiveness is definitely a part of it. Um, and the final one, which I think is the really important one. So, you know, you're told to keep going, you're told to push, you're told to not quit, you're told um, to value yourself by how attractive you are to other people. These these things are setting you up for some, like, difficult life experiences, you know. Um, and then... Both of them say, masculine community says self-maintenance. The fitness community says, they people call it different things, but the idea of you versus you. And they both basically say that, you know, you're going to feel shit. Um, your body's going to stop, want to stop, and your mind's going to want to tell you to, to break down. Um, but it's your responsibility to keep going. And a real man or a, a real, you know, a real gym rat keeps going no matter what. Uh, and if you want to, be kind of morally superior within our um, social field to any um, bourgeois. I think is I think that's how you pronounce his name. Again, I'm being that knobhead that can't pronounce people's names. And there's a, there's a very famous French philosopher who talks about um, fields and social capital and that kind of stuff. Um, or he's not a philosopher; he's more of a uh, sociologist, I'd say. But whatever. If you want to um, feel high up in the hierarchy within this field of being masculine or field of being a fitness person then you need to keep going and you need to like not you need to ignore these things and keep pushing and my question is um i still haven't answered and i, I well I, I think i have the answer to because i think the answer is in the proofs and the pudding um is you know how am i supposed to know the difference then between an issue that I had to keep pushing through and is going to make me better and, you know, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger and all that all that stuff, um, which I, I do believe in a lot of ways. Um, that was actually a Nietzsche quote as well I learned recently, which is interesting. People didn't know that, a German philosopher, he said that. Um, he said it probably in a, a, a better way, but, you know, it comes from him. But yes, um, you know, how am I supposed to know the difference between something that isn't going to kill me and will make me stronger and something that... I need professional help for either, you know, for a physical ailment, um, you know, an injury or something or for a mental health concern that's going to lead me to feeling suicidal eventually and want to, you know, attempt to take my own life. So, you know, it's a real issue. And I think it's you know, with the fitness community growing and the bodybuilding world growing and, and more and more of the media, you know, every actor now has a six pack and there's that weird scene in Spider-Man where Tom Holland's shirtless for like 30 seconds, um, just flexing 
even though he's supposed to be like a kid and you know uh, you know you know i'm not i'm not shitting on tom holland or you know marvel or whatever um but you know like the more that we're pushing this idea and people get into this kind of stuff and, and i'm not saying that's bad that you know, people should it's you know there's a, a cognitive behavioral model by cash um, I always want to say Johnny Cash, but it's not Johnny Cash, although that would be hilarious if Johnny Cash was also a um, body image researcher as well as a musician, whatever. Um, and within this this model, um, they talk about uh, body image evaluation. No, not evaluation, body image. I forget the word they use, but basically inv investment. Yes, I remembered it. I remembered it, mom. Um, my mom's not listening. <laughs> I doubt she is. Maybe she is. Who knows? Hi, mom. Um, yeah. Uh, body image investment and um they talk about in that that there are two kind of main forms of investment one of them is when you kind of identify with your body image which is a problem so your entire identity is rolled around it but there's another form which is more about just like wanting to feel good and wanting to kind of you know value your body and, and feel good about yourself for the way that you look and that's not necessarily that bad so you know going into the gym and wanting to look quote-unquote better by your standards isn't inherently bad despite what some people say I, I don't think i don't believe again not a clinician but i don't think it's bad to want to like change your body as long as that's a very small part of who you are um <clears throat> it's not like the be all and end all it's not it's not going to lead you to hate yourself if you don't manage to do it that's that's the, that's the key um <clears throat> And I've now forgotten what it is. But yeah, but yeah, as I was saying, yeah. So the as we work, as more media and stuff pushes this idea of muscularity, I think fixing this idea of this fitness masculine to sex, or at least you know, coming up with a way of trying to get around it, or at least at least understanding it more. Um, because as far as I'm aware, this isn't looked into. Um, I haven't seen anything like it. Um but yeah, um, it's, pro it's probably a really bad idea me talking about this and not writing and trying to publish something. But you know what? If someone publishes it before me, like well in, <laughs> um, you know, I'd love to be involved. If you're thinking of doing that, please, please do. Um, but um, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I think it could be something that could help us address suicidality for that reason, or at least help us address um, potential future mental health and present future um oh my god my brain's starting to not work now um present mental health issues um yeah i think it's something to to go into or to look at um, and as i just mentioned my my i'm now in the dangerous territory where my my brain is starting to turn off and my energy levels are starting to go down and I'm in big danger of saying something really stupid. I probably already have said something really stupid, but from now on, um, err on the side of caution <laughs> with with what I'm saying. I'm not gonna. I don't mean like I'm going to say anything horrible, but you know, probably going to say something stupid at some point. But we're up to my last two points, so here we go. So the next one, um, yeah, one thing I wanted to talk about. So we, you were talking about like moving forwards and. You know, everyone these days, um, we still talk about, we all, everyone just says men need to talk more. But you know what? I think we're past that now. I think we need to get past that. And I'm going to stop now. No. Um, that's a little joke to those of you who listened and remembered what I said before. Um, God, I'm not funny at all. Anyway, um, so moving forwards and what can we do moving forwards? I, I think one thing that we 
really need to look at are the way that our healthcare services are set up. And this comes back to what I was talking about before. I think the the idea of mental health concerns in general, I think, and again, my, my view is definitely skewed because I work in the area of appearance concerns and I definitely don't know enough about other mental health stuff. But at least from, from what I see, the language tends to be similar. Um, but I am talking out my arse when it isn't to do with appearance concerns. Um, so again, take it with a pinch of salt. Um, but yeah, healthcare services seem to be based around research that's been done mostly on women. And therefore, most of our evidence has been is based on women's experiences. Um, and therefore the evidence-based treatment and terminology and assessment and all sorts of stuff that we use seems to be based on women and um it they seem to and the bits of research at least looking at eating disorders and stuff the tools and things that we we use seem to work better on women than they do on men and obviously that is not great (laughs) um uh, yeah, and I think I think that's something that we really need to look at, and I think it is happening, and it's something I'm trying to do. My my PhD's main focus is looking at um, the current landscape of care for these men who have issues with muscularity, and one of the things I'm looking at are the healthcare services and the staff who work in them. Uh, you know, I don't think they're evil or wrong. I just think, like I said, that they're the evidence that they're basing their evidence based stuff of is based around women, and I think maybe we need to. Um, try and lean a bit more towards some of the um, things that we found in men again it's not exclusive to men and the things that we've seen in women are not exclusive to women and you're not any less of a woman or any less of a man or any less of anything in between um, if you are one of them or not there are lots of men who struggle with eating disorders that are the what I'm currently calling quote unquote the the, the woman's version um, but it doesn't make you a woman it's just um, they seem to be more common in women and seem to be more common. The other muscularity stuff seems to be more common in men. Although that's even changing now as well because we see in adolescence that muscle stuff seems to be more common. Anyway, I digress. You get the picture. You know, everyone's different and that's cool and it's great. Um, <clears throat> anyway, yeah, so I think I think uh, healthcare services need to start to try and embrace that. Um, and I think... The current the current way that we're doing that doesn't necessarily work and this is when i'm going to come on to richard reeves who is um, a man who has just started the boys and men coalition in america which is working on that research and stuff around boys and men and he wrote a book called of boys and men which is um currently sat behind me on my bookshelf um and uh, he talks about in his book he uh, it talks about um, men can heal, and it's a very clever play on words. And it, heal stands for like healthcare, education, something, something. Um, and it's basically about trying to get men into these jobs that what are predominantly women jobs to try and help young boys and to also just help with different things. And, and one of the things he talks about is healthcare and how you're know, getting more male doctors and, and getting more men as nurses and men whatever um, might help with men's mental health and, and general health concerns because men might be more likely to to talk to a another man about a concern you know we, we know very well that um you know with with uh, different kind of ethnicity uh, models and other like intersectional ideas that you know if you 
if you're speaking to someone who um, looks like you or at least identifies in a group that you identify with, you you seem to at least feel more comfortable um, sharing things with them because you can you can assume that they understand more so than someone who's not in your group um, or that they just straight up do understand more so than someone who's not in that group. Um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, one of the things that he talks about in that is that is these advertisements and um, one the one that he quotes um i forget where it's based but it's basically an advertisement to try and get more men into nursing and they show a picture of like there's like a man who's dressed in a fireman outfit a man who's dressed in a whatever a man who's dressed in whatever actually no no they're all dressed in nursing outfits but then underneath it's like written what their their previous jobs were and one was like a firefighter one was like a builder one was whatever all these like kind of stereotypically male like masculine jobs um and it basically says, you know, the, the general messaging is like, look at these masculine men, they're nurses now, so you should be one too. Um, and he talks about how, you know, it shouldn't be about trying to convince men that becoming a nurse or becoming, you know, going into these jobs is going to make them more masculine because that's not going to work. It should be about just making them feel like it's not going to hinder their masculinity. And he goes on to talk about this theory called the gender role congruity theory, which I've read into now. Um, and this theory is based originally on women CEOs and about the kind of stigma and um, negative assessment that people give to women CEOs. And it seems to happen despite the women, the woman's characteristics or traits or abilities. Like it doesn't matter what she's good at. It doesn't matter how she behaves, that she's always going to be seen in a more negative light to the man purely because people see, see the position of CEO as a male position, which is obviously wrong. Um, and basically uh, part of Richard Reeves' argument with that, and I think that they talk about in the theory, I believe, to some degree, is um, <clears throat> trying to kind of move around that gender role congruency doesn't integrate it. So it does, like, say, showing um, pictures of very masculine men being nurses doesn't make people go oh mask like being a nurse is masculine i i can i should do that instead it seems it is likely that people interpret that as being a nurse is so unmasculine that you're trying to convince me that it is um which i think i think makes sense and i can i can see it i can like as someone who used to struggle with masculinity i can definitely see myself interpreting things that way um, so he talks about, again, it's not about trying to make them think that it's going to make them masculine because that get, ends up getting read wrong. It's about telling them that it's not going to hinder it. And I think the same thing needs to be said for the way that we are dealing with men's mental health and, and um, general health concerns for men as well, at least help-seeking behaviour. Um, because the co the current way that we're doing it is look at this very successful uh, or very strong or very masculine whatever it is man and he sought help so you should do it too um and i don't know if that is necessarily going to work for everyone i think for some people who are like close to it it might and for people who already are seeking help i think it feels good and looks and looks fine and stuff because we're already at that point where we've recognize that but i i worry and i i believe although again not not necessarily evidence-based it's semi-evidence-based but but um it's definitely uh, more of a gut feeling and needs to be looked into more um but i believe that those kind of messaging for a lot of men 
just make them feel or make them believe that we've spotted how weird it is or like how unmasculine it is to seek help. So we're just attempting to trick them or like um, fake them out. And um, in a sense, you know, maybe not quite so on the nose, but you know, the idea of we've spotted it, how weird it is that we're having to put on this like campaign to try and tell them that it's not weird. And I think maybe a more successful route or maybe just a route that should be um, paired up with that is instead looking at making help seeking and making these things just a human thing. It's just a thing that everyone does. But then that contradicts, you know, again, I I need to think about it more, but I'm just, um, if anyone listening to this um, wishes to have a conversation about this more with me and thinks they have something to add, please message me or anything. Um, But it contradicts what I was talking about before with how I think mental health is just seen, like generic mental health has often been oriented towards women so people see generic mental health posts as women's mental health posts or you know that kind of generic mental health messaging as women's mental health messaging um because if we try and just make things gender neutral maybe it's just gonna be seen as women's um but maybe that maybe the answer then instead is to make something gender neutral but imagery wise um a mix of genders so you know the 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 statement isn't men and women and whatever can can do this it's just anyone can do this um and then here's some pictures of a a very diverse group of people um all integrated onto the same bit not having like a separate page for men that says this is what men get it's just it's just in there with the women stuff and you can mention that it seems to be different for men but it's still in the same bit you know it's still there with them it's not it's not in this special bit that's for special men because we're all special and we need extra help blah 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 you know i don't i don't think that's working um it feels nice and i i I, for for the longest time i agreed with it and i thought it was a really good thing but the yeah the more i'm learning about it the more i'm reading the more i'm thinking it might not work but again who am i to say um i might be full of shit probably am for something i've said who knows um again if someone wants to educate me or or even just you know continue the conversation with me please let me know um would love to um yeah so those are some thoughts i was thinking about um and yeah one thing one last thing i really wanted to touch on um in regards to masculinity is i've been like again looking at what to do next and my my seventh bullet point is i've been um going down the rabbit hole of reading into like manosphere and like the man box um, which I've learnt recently, apparently are different things. I thought it was just the same term, or like different terms for the same thing. But I think the the man box is the idea of like, a, I guess, a cultural thing of people who are promoting masculinity in a sense. Um, or like, I guess, traditional masculinity. But manosphere is like red pill, black pill stuff. So I, th- I think man, man box isn't necessarily as bad. Um, but maybe it's maybe it's that, again, I just don't know. But um, I think maybe um, all manosphere stuff is in the man box, is in the man box, but not all man box stuff is manosphere. Maybe that's it. I might be wrong again. But either way, um, 
I've been looking down like the red pill stuff and this kind of thing and I think it might be linked with muscle dysmorphia and that's why I've been looking down on it because um, there's been bits of evidence looking recently um, doing like analysis of forums and things for like red pill and, and those kind of things. And for people who don't know, red pill is basically this, they're, they're a very like misogynistic anti-feminist group that uh, the, the red pill is based on the, I'm laughing, but it's really like, it's really they seem very problematic. Um, but the the red pill idea is that it's like the matrix where Neo can either um, take the blue pill and forget everything and go back to being like a, a zombie or whatever it is they, they call him, where he just, he just does what the government tells him and does whatever the media is saying. Um, or he takes the red pill and he can discover the truth so they basically are believing that they've discovered this red pill and they they've they believe um again I'm I'm probably um reducing it to some degree here but as far as I'm aware they believe that like the feminist messaging is all kind of like bullshit and or at least that it's wrong and, and problematic and um and that they're just trying to like reduce men to nothing and um women are trying to take over men or some some stuff like this it's very problematic, um, but there's an inherent messaging of traditional masculinity in there, and and the kind of very problematic end of that. Um, <clears throat> and one of the aspects of that is the idea, the concept of self improvement is a big part of the red pill community, and this idea that um, you need to improve your sexual market value, which seems to be the way that you within that group you evaluate yourself as a person is how how well how valuable you are in the sexual market and you do so by uh, like attributing like how much money you make um i think how tall you are uh stuff like this and then one of the factors is like your body and and the concept of muscularity being being super uh, muscular and lean is the like god tier like the highest of high um form of like hierarchy in the body body image idea so i think they likely i think the people in the red red pill community likely cross over into muscle dysmorphia quite frequently or at least um muscularity oriented issues anyway um with like disordered eating and exercise and that kind of stuff i think probably crosses over into there to some degree um but uh, yeah reading into that one thing i've been looking at are um like kind of statistics again i'm terrible with numbers but i remember these these bits to it to a degree because it wasn't the number specifically that i was looking at but one thing that i did find was a um a uh like research group in america that did some that did a really large survey slash questionnaire on me young men in the u.s and there were two findings that really stood out to me. And I spoke about this recently on a podcast. I forget which one, but on some kind of podcast. Um, and the first one is um, that more people, more young men said they trusted Andrew Tate, who is a big Manosphere person, people who don't know. Um, he's... Uh, again, I haven't really watched any of his stuff or looked into him, but from what I know, um, I, I'm, I'm actually planning on um, looking into his stuff as terrifying as that sounds, purely because I want to understand it. If, I, if I'm going to research it, it might be something that I do post-PhD um, 
it might be I, I feel like it's an area of interest that I'm interested in looking into is um yeah, what it is people think they're getting from this. It might be something I end up looking into, but as for now, I'm trying to spare myself from um, ignore, like looking at any of his stuff, but he, he seems to be very misogynistic. Um, he has been, yeah, there's been several kind of claims against him that have been very problematic, and um, I've heard a lot of things about sex trafficking and stuff. Again, I don't know the, the whole deal or what, what the truth is or whatever, but either way, he, he's a problem. It seems like I think I can confidently say he seems to be a problem um but yes anyway um then more people believed him than they did joe biden and now again i don't know anything about joe biden either i i don't look into u.s politics um very much um so but i think i think i can safely say that even if joe biden happens to be the most incompetent human that's ever existed which i doubt he is if he managed to be the president somehow um even if that is the case it seems problematic that more young men are trusting andrew tate over the president of the united states when they live in the united states um, and that sounds really funny, like it sounds like a funny statistic, but I think it, you know, it shows how alarming it is that, or like it shows, I think, our failure for these young boys, or at least America's failure, I guess I could say, um, in that they are trusting this really problematic person. You know, like young young boys are going to follow the people that speak to them the most, and I feel like we're not doing a very good job of that is the problem. Um, and that leads me on to the, the second statistic, which was that um, they did a questionnaire asking about like political views and about like several like mental health things. And um, one that stood out to me was that people who aligned with more like egalitarian, quote unquote, left wing views um, reported a lower sense of purpose in their life um, and the young men who um, reported more anti-egalitarian, right, quote-unquote, right-wing views reported a higher sense of purpose in life. So, it's so see, and then I would, I again, I don't know, but I'm assuming that Andrew Tate is quite a right-wing figure, and um, I believe Joe Biden is quite like left-wingy, egalitarian person. Um, again, I don't know, but either way. I think this speaks to the the fact that what you know how how poor of a job we're doing in in a society where we're we're really trying to work on improving diversity and equality and in, in selling it to young men or giving them something that they can latch onto and and um, find purpose in at least it seems to be here um, and I, I really think some form of new masculinity is really missing and, and something that I think really needs to be adapted and worked on and there are some really great people who are doing that there's um again i forget his name uh, justin baldoni i think his name i think that's how i pronounce his name um he has a book called man enough um that i've got on my um shelf behind me as well um and he has a new book as well now that's like written for teenage boys about like, masculinity and stuff and he does a podcast and stuff and some really great things i also really like paddy pimlet the ufc fighter i haven't seen much from him since but i believe he has like a charity now around like men's suicide and stuff but again talking about men's mental health and how men should speak up and stuff but justin baldoni seems to be doing a great job of talking about like positive forms of masculinity 
Um, and yeah, I just I I'm, I I feel very passionately about the idea that we need to. Obviously, in an in an ideal world, we would just completely delete the concept of needing to adhere to masculinity, femininity, etc. But I think the I I think just telling people that it's like silly and they need to forget it, which I think is what we do for a lot of a lot of people at the moment, um, I think doesn't work. And I think we really need to do a better job of thinking of of and trying to push um, positive ways that these people who for one reason or another feel dependent on masculinity and feel dependent on being masculine we need to show them ways of doing those traits that are positive and you know you can label those stereotypical masculine traits in really positive ways you know the the ideas of like determination and consistency and um providing for a family and stuff they they can be labeled in a way that doesn't subordinate others you know um again i don't have all the answers <laughs> and I, I'm, I this is turning into kind of a preachy thing which i really didn't want it to be but um yeah i'm just i just think it's something that we need to be looking at and, and thinking about and uh, yeah again with my phd i'm trying to add a very small bit into it um, but yeah but if anyone out there's listening thinks of anyone who um or you would like to talk to me more about this kind of stuff um I'm, i really want to try and talk about this kind of stuff more because i am really passionate about it um but yeah i don't want to come across as i said at the start as a wanky attempting to be influencer person <laughs> uh so yeah even just private conversations between us and we try and think of a cool way of um implementing something that doesn't come across quite so wanky um would be fabulous uh, but yeah i think i've touched on everything i wanted to touch at i have a headache now my voice is sore so i'm going to stop there um and yes that is it thank you everyone for listening um i hope you enjoyed oh i do have now a uh, an online survey that I want to start trying to share to get feedback from people. Um, I'm aware that posting this link on the internet um, is probably asking for like trolls to just like swarm into it and say lots of you know, kind of useless feedback. But hopefully that doesn't happen too much. Um, but I think I'm going to put the link in this podcast at least uh to see what people think if it isn't in there it's because i decided it wasn't a good idea um in which case feel free to just message me with feedback or i think you can give feedback on these podcasts i think you can do that on spotify and on um apple music i don't really know i don't know the ins and outs um if you could that'd be great i, I think it'll probably help me get more people to see what i'm doing um equally if you don't want to that's cool <laughs> uh and enjoy your day and yeah i hope you're okay and yeah i guess i'll see you at the next pod which hopefully will be with um hoping to do a podcast with matt from the flourishing athlete shout out to matt and shout out to the flourishing athlete follow them on instagram he's awesome i've been trying to do a podcast with him for fucking forever and i keep being ill or anxious or whatever and I keep bailing on him, so I'm sorry, Matt. I'm going to publicly say I'm sorry, Matt. <laughs> You're awesome. Um, I really want to do this podcast at some point. Yes, okay, I'm actually going to shut up now.
Farewell. Goodbye. Nice to speak to you. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Here at Maya Minds, we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast. So please, if you can, give it a share. Each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that. Also, if you want to check out mayaminds.com, please do. You can see all our social media things on there. And we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community. Thank you.